The future of work and the future for workers is changing. From new technologies and talent strategies to the management of tomorrow's workforce. Tap in to Manpower Group Talent Solutions' 60 years of expertise and join us for the Transform Talent podcast, your guide to talent market trends, new technologies and winning talent solutions. And welcome to the sixth episode of the Transform Talent Podcast. This is Roberto Cucchiaro and Dominica Gausa. Today we talk about Statement of Work, also known as SOW. SOW is one of the largest categories of spend for an organization and has increased 21% year over year, representing three to six times the spend of contingent labor. This rapid growth is primarily fueled by the rise of the gig workforce, who look to maintain their independence and desire flexible working arrangements while organizations want to shift risk, maintain quality and control costs by moving to outcome-based solutions. With the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, the overnight and now long-term shift to remote work and the growing urgency for organizations to digitize, never before has organizational agility been tested in such extreme and accelerated circumstances. And looking ahead, the question really is, how can SOW help organizations succeed in the post-COVID-19 economy? And we are joined today by Kaylee Kuptz and Sana Ali to find out. Kaylee is co-founder and COO at Deployed. Deployed is a fast-growing statement-of-work authoring platform and also a current talent solution partner, transforming the front-end SOW management processes. Kaylee's startup recently received a $2 million investment from Microsoft Ventures and in 2020 won the Melinda Gates Female Founders Competition for Global SAAS, beating 750 other outstanding female finalists for new productivity tech. And Kaylee is an Accenture Strategy alumna and knows more than most of the importance of good and well-defined scope. And that's why we have you here, Kaylee. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. And we are also joined by Sana. Sana recently joined Talent Solutions Tapfin as the EMEA Services Procurement Manager, brought in as a SOW SME responsible for the strategic direction of the inception, optimization, and delivery of innovative and efficient SOW solutions within EMEA. Sana is an accredited certified sourcing professional, and with over eight years of industry experience, she brings extensive operational and design knowledge in both SOW and contingent workforce management. Welcome, Sana, as well. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Great. Great to have you here both. So let's start with the basics. What is SOW? Right. So I guess really um, it's essentially a, a document. It's a contract, it's contractual paperwork. And I think there is a bit of a misconception within the industry. And I think some of it is possibly done so by service providers like ourselves um, in terms of services procurement. So what is that term? It's almost a nothingness term, but it is essentially what's linked to the service management of statement of works. But an SOW or a statement of work itself is, is essentially the contractual paperwork that outlines delivery, outlines timelines, um, milestones, and just essentially the, the, the full life cycle of an actual delivery of, of that particular piece of work. So what are the challenges behind it? 
I think as the future of work moves to more remote and flexible um, empowerment of your workforce, um, so does the contractual document that supports it. So I think the biggest challenge with statements of work is that HR supply chains need to adapt to the fact that they have to embrace more complexity in how their contract works, specifically with remote staff, with flexible staff, with contingent staff. And as you look at this boring word document, the risk it holds and the value it holds is actually really significant. Um, currently, $3 trillion worth of work are transacted via the statement of work every year. And that's growing 16% every year with now COVID and a pandemic accelerating this growth. So how can we create processes and a knowledge base and use data to make this process of authoring statements of work much more simpler and take complexity out? But I think something to, to point out to what Kaylee mentioned as well is it's about dedicating time and detail around what that delivery looks like. So, you know, we know that SCW engagements, that you're expecting to receive a tangible output, essentially, um, from that. But from experience, and, and Kaylee, I'm sure you'll agree with this as well, from experience, it's it's very, very common to see the hiring communities and, and, you know, SW owners and project owners and things like that. They want that tangible output, but they want to put in as limited time and dedication to really drawing those out. But when you're talking about SW, you know, as we said, it's it's a legal contractual document. It, it, it is a contract in itself. So it is so important to make sure that that level of granular detail and those those sort of risk accountability and, and uh, acceptance criteria and all of those fun things that you'd expect to see are clearly outlined. But it, it is it is a big challenge because it's time consuming. You know, you need to have that attention of attention to detail. But when you're looking to use the SAW route as a as a quick fix almost to switch work on and off, and you know have projects that that are easy to deploy um, and and have completed in in, in limited amount of time, it, it's something that tends to slip away sometimes. So I think that probably is is getting that balance right with having enough detail for it to be matched up as a contractual document, but also then have the the agility and the flexibility to be able to, to switch that type of work on and off. I totally agree. This authoring bit of what the work is and what the scope is to get to those tangible outcomes is super important and often neglected because it is time consuming. We're, we're doing a research project with Loughborough University on consensus finding between the buyer and the supplier of work. Because if you if you look at these two personas, me as a buyer, I'm the expert of the problem my organization has, and I'm seeking to hire a supplier contingent worker on a statement of work who's the expert of the solution. So these two experts come together and there's a consensus finding process on defining what the work is, how it's priced and how it's going to be delivered. And that's the exciting bit about the statement of work and the bit that's often um, comes with a lot of compromises mm. because it's time consuming and it's it's sometimes even political. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity to automate and, and use technology and use data to, to help make that consensus finding process much easier. I think really that for me is the biggest challenge of it all is when you strip away and get back to basics and the fundamentals of it is that what essentially what type of work are you as an organization or even as an industry sort of standard defining that work to be SAW because then you know you've got risk of misclassification you've got 
spend, rogue spend, you've got leakage of spend, you've got scope creep that comes into that, you know, and and, and not to sort of throw out these words or, or terms almost, but it's all relevant and it all ties in. And, you know, as, as we sort of heard at the start that we're looking at sort of almost three to six times more cost that's associated with SOW compared to your standard sort of contingent workforce. So you can sort of start to understand that with that basic fundamental of misclassification and various other elements as well, you know, the the, the level of exposure that you could have and as, as an organization and the level of risk that can be associated with that, whether it be cost or other elements internally as well. But it's there, there's there's several challenges, I think, to say the least. There is several challenges. Risk in this buyer to supplier dynamic also depends on the commercial structure you use and and the detail of scope you you describe it in. We had um, we do lots of statement of work reviews, for instance, for of our clients, and um, we had one statement of work with a big four for two million pounds, and it just said scope to be defined throughout the project. The risk very clearly sits with the buyer there who's spending two million dollars. So yeah, if you think of a scale, that the right pricing and the right scoping can determine an equal amount of risk mm-hmm. or fair amount of risk. You know, you're both um, experts in the field of uh, SOW management. And I'm really, really curious to to hear from you. What brought you close to, to SOW? What really interests you about it? I'll, I'll go first because I'm sure Kaylee's um, experience will be a lot more exciting <laughs> than mine. <laughs> but um, I guess for me, it's that that attention to detail. And, you know, we spoke about needing to put in time and effort and, and focus on the detail of the actual delivery of each of each. SOW project or SOW requirement essentially. So I think for me it's that the need to be meticulous and and focus on some of those details and prepare um, in order for you to be able to to effectively achieve that tangible output that you're after and within the timeframes that are specified as well. So I, I, I guess I like those parameters that you would put in. You know, I'm I'm an extremely overly organized person. So for me, that is something that's really interesting. And I think being able to focus on some of that and 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 hold the, the either the buyer or the supplier in both ways accountable for their actions and 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 for their their input. But I think also mainly one of the other key things for me is is that collaboration effort, and not to say that any other um, you know workforce category is is not collaborative. But I think with SOW, that collaboration and that partnership that you have with your suppliers is really really key here, and I think is is heightened in this element, and you see it throughout every step of the way of of sort of from an inception of a, of a requirement to making sure that it is indeed an SOW to, you know, going through that bid process with your suppliers and, and really collaborating co- collaborating and, and partnering with them on what their capabilities are, what their skill sets are. You know, are you engaging the right suppliers as part of that? And then you've got the negotiation element as well. There's, there's that huge piece on sort of that commercial review and that commercial element that you you need to get right as well as the delivery as well, which, you know, is is essentially the end goal and the end result. But there's so many elements of it. And I think it's it's seen throughout. But I think the key things for me that, that keep me excited and interest me about this is the level of detail and how meticulous you sort of essentially need to be with the whole process. Um, but, but you know, it's clear, it's clear you get a, a clear, tangible output. Um, there is accountability there. You know 
achieving at the end of the the timelines um but it's also that collaboration that you have and that partnership that you that you have with your suppliers and all the parties engaged as well so not as exciting i'm sure as <laughs> Kaylee, you, but <laughs> yeah and for you Kaylee. Statements of work has haunted me my entire career. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. I I worked in strategy consulting and it was an amazing job and I had an amazing time. But you learn on the supplier side, you learn all the tricks uh, to, to get statements of work through the door because the time to signature is, is what matters. Yeah. And um, tricks like you salami slice them up into little <laughs> little value statements of work so they go through the green light channel um, of approvals and are signed quicker to inflated rate cards. There's, there's loads. So I've been on the selling side of statements of work for, for a while. And um, then I switched into financial services and I was on the buyer side all of a sudden in a cost management function um, reviewing statements of work that were incoming. Um, so I've seen a bit of both and I've seen the problems on both sides because the risk I just mentioned is one example, but there's also, there's no mutually fair statement of work is always sh more shifted. Control is always more shifted to one or the other side, which is if you think of it as a deal with two players on each side, it should be fair. Risk should be distributed fairly. Um, and it's often, often it's not. Um, so I've, I've seen both sides. Um, whilst being a consultant at HSBC, I met my co-founder who, um, who was my client who's spent his entire career building cost management functions in, in big banks in the UK, um, exactly specifying what good statements of work should look like that's how, how Deployed came about. We now help organizations, buyer and supplier side, create robust scopes to choose the right pricing structure for the right types of work. So if you think of time material being the go-to go charging model for um, service-based work, it's actually only, it should only be used for strategic work, for work where you can't really have a tangible scope or outcome quick assessments, strategic advice, that should all be time material. But the second you go into delivery projects, you deliver towards milestones, the, those milestones should have the price tag attached to them and not a rate card that's unrelated to the content that's actually being provided in the work. Um, yeah, so I think every job I've ever had, I've had to work with statements of work on either side, buyer, supplier side. Um, so has my co-founder. And I think this is how, um, yeah, how Deployed came about because we just want to improve this defining what the work is, pricing it up correctly to cater for both sides, buyer and supplier. Mm -hmm. And well, talking about Deployed, you, you do have a very impressive uh, background. And as a female founder in the tech industry, I was just curious to also hear from you, how does it feel to, to be a winner of the Melinda Gates Female Founders Competition? And what would you say to uh, other women that, you know, want to pursue a career in tech as well? I would say do it. <laughs> um, it's not a walk in the park, um, especially seeking VC investment. My CEO, Emma, um, leads a lot of our investment communication. Sadly, the statistics are that less than 1% of VC investment goes towards female-founded businesses, which companies like Microsoft and, and the Melinda Gates Foundation, they're trying to solve and they're not just talking about it, they actually put money behind it. So uh, we are very proud to have been part of this competition and the 
Um, obviously, there's big names been flowing around, but it just really helps to to just make a statement, put some money behind it from these big companies to say we do support female founded businesses. And I mean, the world the world is changing. Uh, last week, Bumble um, had a really successful IPO. Mm-hmm. Bumble has a board that's over 70% female and a 30-year-old or 31-year-old female CEO. That's that's amazing. And um, I think there's more and more companies and successes in the tech industry coming up. So although not easy, I think, yeah, definitely, definitely worth it. Yeah, do it. That's the best advice. (laughs) Take the plunge. According to the latest Manpower Group's Skills Revolution Reboot Report, the three R's, Renew, Reskill, Redeploy, digitization and automation are accelerating as a result of the pandemic, creating demand for specific skills, and 40% of them are speeding up digitization. More jobs are being created than being destroyed. 86% of employers that are automating plan to increase or maintain their headcount. So what do you think are the tech trends that every organization should watch in 2021? I think I see really two really big tech trends, um, especially under the umbrella of remote work and flexible work, um, one being productivity tools. There's so much out there. There's intuitive online to-do lists from Notion. There's virtual whiteboarding software where you can get teams of 50 people on and you can still maintain the the spirit of a posted session and physically in the office. Um, Great software is Miro for that. Um, And then there's obviously the rise of collaboration tools like Slack, Zoom, Microsoft Teams. Um, And I think it's companies should look what fits them and what tools, because there's so many out there and one of them will work and will help to make your remote structure, your remote business um, more productive. So that's one. The second trend, no and low code platforms. That being companies, there's a trend of companies not buying off the shelf complex software from providers like say SAP and where you pay large sums and spend a lot of time on waiting for the provider to customize it to your organization's need. No low-code platforms are the the new trend um, where non-technical people can essentially Lego box their software as they need it. That's time savings, there's efficiency savings, there's customization immediately on the spot for what you need. Airtable, AppSheet, Salesforce are good examples of those. Um, I think that that's going to be a huge rise going forward to just also empower organizations to build their bespoke um, solutions much faster and without the need of extensive coding um, and investing in those capabilities. And I think ultimately, really, what we've definitely seen with the pandemic and, you know, various other economic factors that we're seeing today, um, the, the technology and the need for digitization and automation is, is accelerated accelerated far more quickly than um, than it probably would have ever, ever been anticipated. So essentially, people want to, want to ultimately remove the wasted and increase their productivity and efficiency. So I think, you know, like Kaylee's mentioned, a lot of productivity tools, I think, and particularly when you when you add in that sort of remote working and that sort of location strategy that a lot of organizations are now looking into is definitely going to be one of the bigger focuses. And, and you know, as I said, it's it's certainly something that's been accelerated probably instead of being on the 10-year map, it's now probably in the in the two-year map or even year map um, roadmap. So it, it, there's there's so much out there, but I think it's really bringing it back to 
what's current today and how the new world and the new future of work is going to look like, which is essentially digital and, and very much agile. So where does the SOW fit when we talk about digitization and automation and how much of the process can be automated? SOW in its current state is a Word document that's exchanged by email up to 42 times. It's um, There's different versions flying around. There's not a single source of the truth. You calculate manpower plans in the spreadsheet and you copy them into that Word document. Legal does a review at the same time. You've already sent that that version that you sent to legal because in two weeks you've already sent that back to the supplier. So when the legal version comes back, the one you have is already outdated. So there's a lot of manual labor and a lot of inefficiencies in just authoring the statement of work, which leaves a lot of room to automate. If you think about the components of a statement of work, there's a start date, there's an end date, there's a supply, and then you always ask the same questions that can all be automated. You can integrate your preferred supplier list. You can integrate um, a decision tree for the right pricing models. If it's this type of work, it's this pricing structure. You can work with legal and automate a clause database and, and certain validations as to when what clause is triggered, which saves legal a lot of time having to review it after. So just in this initial authoring of the work, there's so much potential to automate. And then once the work is automated, uh, once the statement of work is written, um, what follows after is um, that in the current process, this manual Word document dies in a desk drawer somewhere or at best, it's uploaded into SAP or Reba, but nothing's really happening with it other than rekeying the information in order to for the supplier to raise, raise invoices. You have to open it, copy paste it into a Reba. There's so much rekeying and manual labor to just, and then nothing's done with it, which um, if you just have one digital record of the statement of work and every data point in there means something, you can do lots of reporting. It's transparency to the management on what work's actually being performed at the moment which pricing models do you always use, how much work is running over budget and initially agreed, how many change requests do you have? All of those things you can just very easily read out of digital statements of work, not so easy out of paper printed statements of work that sit somewhere in a desk drawer. So um, the statement of work is not disrupted. It has so much value in it and there's so, so much potential to digitalize it and make everyone's life easier. Yeah, and well, in the past few months, we also have seen the biggest workforce shift and reallocation of skills in in years since the world war since World War II, actually. And as organizations transform and digitize at speed and scale, skills needs are transforming too. So by 2025, we are expecting humans and machines to split work-related tasks 50-50, while, while 97 million new jobs emerging in AI, the green economy, and care economy. So the question really is around um, the fact that you know employers need to think long-term when it comes to their entire workforce. So how can SOW help companies develop a workforce that can sustain unexpected shifts? And um, organizations that had to shift production overnight when COVID-19 hit, for example, come to mind. So what is the key to organizational agility and how can uh, SOW help? So I think one of the beauties of, of sort of engaging SOW arrangements and, and going through that 
particular channel, I think it's that flexibility and it's the ability for you to be able to sort of quickly switch work on and off. And, you know, yes, absolutely. SAW arrangements is that SAW work is particularly associated with sort of outcome-based work. Um, it's clear to see what your end result is, but I think it's also that speed that you can, you can essentially you know, once you're at that stage, you've got an SW contract fully signed and you've you've got that delivery agreed. It's quite easy to be able to deploy that work and switch it on and off. And I think that certainly works in line with that sort of being flexible and agile as well. It helps you maintain um, and be able to leverage skill sets that maybe your workforce overall is lacking or just needs a little bit of help. But I think really one of the focus points is gone are your days where you're sort of focusing on one individual to deliver work. And, you know, you've got organizations that have hundreds and thousands and and so many employees, you're not reliant on one individual body or their sort of particular individual skill sets. It's, it's now the age of sort of teamwork, collaboration, taking advantage of skills that are appropriate and leveraging skills that, that you may may not have. So I think the key thing to, to building a sustainable workforce and, and how SW comes into that is that if you've got that foundation of you reskilled and you've got a workforce that you are comfortable with as that sort of fundamental of your employee base, SOWs can help come in and leverage some of that and, and really sort of bring things together. Yeah, I can echo what you said, Sana. Um, I like how you phrased it, switching work on and off can easily be done with statements of work. Um, the job for life is dead. You don't you don't hire for people anymore. You hire for services and outcomes and the statement of work enable that flexibility and that agility. I need XYZ done is the statement then and you look who can do that. You don't look for, I want that person with that skill, but I'm not sure what they will do. It's the other way around. It, it yeah. shifts from permanent staff, job descriptions to flexible, service-based, output-based work. Yeah. So SAW essentially helps you bridge that gap. This makes me think of the importance to provide insight and guidance to hiring communities into selecting the optimum buying channel for their required work, thus avoiding misclassification, shifting risk, cutting costs, and ultimately driving value. How can organizations know whether their supply base is fit for purpose? What should they look out for and ultimately achieve efficiency optimization? As we look ahead, what does the new supply chain look like? In a nutshell, I think when you're looking at supply base and the efficiency and how you can optimize it, I think now more so than ever, you know, with the new future of work that we're looking at, you need to have a supply base that's agile and flexible. You know, we've talked about switching work on and off. We've talked about bridging gaps and we, we've talked about sort of new economic shifts, new shifts and trends and things. It, you're so reliant as a buyer on your supply base. Um, and if it's not fit for purpose, purpose, excuse me, if it's not agile, if it's not flexible, everything else pretty much falls apart. You might have the best vision and best strategies in place, but particularly when it comes to SAWs, you are buying a service essentially, an outcome-based service, and you are reliant on the suppliers to deliver the work and, and give you that efficient productivity that you are asking for and that you need. And if they're not flexible, if they're not agile, then it all falls apart. And to add one thing to that, suppliers or supplier base, even supply chain processes, they're reactive to the demand. 
So if you yeah. as an organization and the demand chain, the demand processes, how demand is phrased, how it's narrated, how it's prioritized, that's that's radically changing. So the supplier base and what they offer and how they're structured is is in reaction to that demand. So yeah. I think organizations, rather than starting with transforming their supplier base, should look at how they define demand and communicate demand to their suppliers. Because if they can define what they want and they can really communicate their problems, their supplier base will react to that positively. Yeah. But I think yeah. you have to start with what Absolutely. do you actually need? What needs to be done? What's the demand for the business? Yeah. Absolutely. But but I think cost also then comes into that as well. And, you know, we know that cost is always a driver for, for many different aspects for all organisations, regardless of whether you're on a buyer side or on the receiving end. And there were some interesting stats that I read recently is that pre-COVID, organisations were focused on sort of cost reduction strategies at 33%. Post-COVID, that's now pretty much doubled to 66%. So you've got a lot of organisations that are hugely focused on what are their cost cost strategies. You know, can can you cut costs? Where can you cut costs? And SOW is usually always one of those conversations that's directly linked to cost and for me, a supply base. Um, because, you know, absolutely, Kaylee, as you've mentioned, your supply base is only as, as agile and fit for purpose based on the demand and how effectively you communicate that demand to your supplies, suppliers. Um, but then also there's that costing as well. And I think you need that level of competition. You know, if, if you as a, as a buyer are limited to the spend that you can associate to what we know, SOW being a sort of a, a high ticket category or channel to engage, we know that the, the, the costs and the spend that's associated is, is considerably more compared to different channels of, of work and channels of buying. It, it, it's about that competition, I think, as well, and, and, and sort of making sure that you are communicating whether you've got strategies, you know, are, are the suppliers going to be able to match up to that? Because it is, again, as we've mentioned, it's that collaborative effort, it's that partnership that you're looking to build with your supply base. You, you need it to work for you at the end of the day. And I think absolutely you need to be able to effectively communicate some of those demands. You need to be able to communicate what your needs are. Um, but I think for me, it all ultimately ties back to a certain degree to to costing as well. So growing acceptance of remote work will remake how organizations are thinking about the workforce. And, you know, we are talking more and more about talent communities, about untethering talent from location to hybrid models. And remote work, it's creating an opportunity for employers to tap skills beyond borders and talent in the cloud. So acceptance of outcome-based remote work is increasing and spend and costs are the key decision factors as well. So what does the shift to remote working really mean for organizations and how easy is it to create a fully remote workforce for in, in your in your in your opinion? Short answer it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's there's no one size fits all model at this stage or there probably never be. Um I think the best you can do as an organization is to 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 talk to your teams, talk to everyone, see what works. Now everyone's forced to work from home or at least forced to work on a hybrid model. To talk to your team and understand what works and what doesn't work, what they need different done differently that, that can be improved. Um for having to get creative. There's so much technology out there. 
named a few productivity tools earlier. Um, there's so many methodologies and ideas floating around because COVID has accelerated this probably three times faster than, than it normally would have happened, even more maybe. So there's there's so much out there. I think companies or, or, or leadership and management teams need to get creative, look what's out there, and then just try Try, fail, iterate, and and do that and communicate with your teams and see what works and what doesn't. If you're looking at it from an SOW lens, I would say slightly con- conflicting, um, but I would say it's 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 relatively easy because you know the way that SOWs can be delivered and the the type of the, the way that the arrangements are set up are set up so that you could for instance have somebody sat on a beach in Bali doing the work that they need to and it's still going to fit the criteria it's still going to fit all the rules and regulations that are defined as part of that SOW document and there's no issues so I think it depends which side that you're looking at it I think holistically um, it's incredibly difficult you know you're changing mindsets you're looking at logistics of things it's something that can take a lot of organizations years to perfect when it comes to that location strategy and making sure that they work work workforce and their workplace is fully remote. But from a from a granular SOW lens, I would say it's incredibly easy because mm-hmm. that's the nature of the work. If you think about the consulting industry, that's a whole change to their business model. When I was mm. when I was a strategy consultant, you, you're there, the consultant's there before the client and you're the last one to leave as well. Like the, the whole ethos, you have documents on yeah. your desk, you're not allowed to take them out of your client's building. There's so much in this traditional prestige consulting model industry that is that, that actually defines their whole industry. Um, that's all gone. They all said that everyone sits at home now. So a whole chunk of their business model is better needs to change now and they're forced to change which will be super interesting to watch and how they solve that problem and if you link that back to statements of work now in the pandemic consultants that maybe used to be on a time material contract being at the client side five days a week with a vague scope they picked up problems along the side in hallway conversations and although that may have been scope creep, they were still delivering value for the clients because it was on a vague scope time material contract, but they were working for 18 hours a day. They were working for that client because they picked up things on the site all the time. They can't mm-hmm. do that now. Does that mean they have to shift to outcomes-based and clearly define scopes because they can't pick up things on the side anymore um, because they don't have hallway conversations with their clients or lunches with their clients anymore? Is that a shift from an entire commercial structure for consultants now from TMM to outcomes-based as an assumption? Be very, I'm, I'm very, very interested to see, see the dynamics in that industry and how, how the pandemic will change them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely agree. So looking ahead and, you know, with uh, keeping in mind, you know, organizations such actually Salesforce just, uh, I think was last week that announced that they were going to have a remote workforce for the foreseeable future. So, you know, having these organizations in mind that want to, you know, go fully remote or even like you were saying, Sana, have really happy employees uh, working from a nice beach in Bali. So if you wanted to have that kind of model, what's the perfect checklist to follow? And I would love to get three examples uh, from Sana and three from Kaylee. I think the first thing for me would probably be reskilling um, your workforce essentially. So I think there is a level of, of process that needs to go into it beforehand. So you need to sort of understand um, it, 
are you happy with the level of efficiency and productivity that can be provided? Because that's essentially the output, right? You want to maintain, if not heighten, the level of efficiency and productivity if you're moving towards a, a, a remote workforce. So reskill and reevaluate what your workforce looks like. Um, you want to take time to really understand remits of, of work and, and really define what, what outputs there are for you, what your vision is essentially. Um, but, but with that being said, you also want to still ha- have your workforce and people feel a sense of control in their abilities as well. You want them to almost feel empowered. Um, so that I think would be the first thing. And it's, it's going back to basics, I think, again, as part of that sort of logistical peace and um, changing mindsets and changing behaviors that have been ingrained for as long as as long as most people can remember um, and and then I think secondly for me uh, would also be automation so you want to probably try and remove wastage um, eliminate any unnecessary tasks or duplications as part of that as well and then I think thirdly I would probably say communication or effective communication, strategic and effective communication rather, um, and collaboration as well. You know, if you're looking at that remote workforce, you need to still be able to ensure that your workforce um, or parties involved are able to effectively communicate. You know, if that communication halts or stops, that collaboration stops, then everything essentially falls apart you're not really you might have people sort of based left right and center here there and everywhere but if you're not talking to one another they're all very separate and segregated nothing comes together so I think to bring that sort of holistic um, piece together that really is I think really really crucial to make sure that you're maintaining that aspect as well my top three checklists will be no more micromanagement, um, define clear outcomes and empower your team, agility and sprint methodology. Let's learn from the successes of agile development work and how we can apply it in, in other remits. And thirdly, um, to my point earlier, invest the time and think outside of the box as to what productivity tools, collaboration tools, and technology is the right fit for your company. Um, And I say outside of the box because those productivity tools should increase productivity and not just replicate what you would normally do in a physical space. Because if you did that, that would mean you're on calls all all hours of the day. Um, So then there's an element of thinking outside of the box to to change behavior and do things a bit differently. Well, that's you know, it makes me feel super ready for this for, to uh, to attack 2021. The impact of COVID-19 and increase in unemployment rates, increased need for short-term temp employment, and increased interest in alternate engagement models. And an overall unpredictable market environment is causing organizations to expedite digital transformation for flexible and forward-thinking talent acquisition sourcing strategies to capture opportunity and compete. At the moment, it is difficult for organizations to track their spend per worker and force processes effectively, and there's limited data available for reporting on cost savings. And I think 
thanks to this interesting conversation with Kaylee and Sana, the answer to those problems is statement of work, which drives governance, visibility, strategy, alignment, and delivers cost efficiencies. And, and I would say also shifts uh, risk because managing unexpected shifts like we've seen recently is so important now and receiving the right guidance and insight into selecting the optimum bank channels is, is, is vital for risk mitigation. So it's been really interesting to, to understand what goes behind the scene in organizations and uh, learn from you a lot. And like I said before, really be ready for, uh, you know, whatever comes our, our way in uh, uh, this year. So before I let you go, I have a, a last question. And if you heard the, la- the other episodes, you know what's coming. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could only have three things, what would you have with you? Oh, I'm so bad. <laughs> like this. This, this <laughs> is a tough one. Um, one thing that I can instantly say is lip balm or some form of moisturizer, <laughs> completely unwork-related and, and non-professional. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of moisturized skin, um, <laughs> lips in particular. So. so that's one. You can bring two more. Um, a good book, I think. Um, one that you could probably read again and again, and you can possibly use the papers to, you know create fires or whatnot uh, so it could be a, a dual a dual um item you can burn that book as well. <laughs> exactly <laughs> nice. once you're done with it once you've read it for a hundred times then yeah <laughs> um i'm gonna go i'm gonna move over to kaylee to give some ideas for inspiration and i'll come out with my third one <laughs> thank you i would take a solar panel because oh, i think clever. i'd find it really hard to live in a in a world without technology or electricity, <laughs> bring a solar panel. I'd bring a hammock. <laughs> nice one. Shout. Which, yeah. which would be good for relaxing, but also maybe shelter from the sun. And it can be also a good fishing net. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Multi-purpose hammock. <laughs> and I would bring, the good German that I am, I would bring a Swiss army knife. <laughs> Very useful. <laughs> I'll probably steal your third one there as well. I think that's uh, that's a good tool to have. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. We we are asking this question to everyone that comes on our podcast, and we'll do a nice uh, a compilation at the, at the end. Uh, see, uh, you know, what are the best ideas. But so, thank you so much for joining us today on our sixth episode of the Transform Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. And don't to all to all our listeners, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app and leave us a review. Our next episode will be on women in the workplace to honor the tireless and inspiring women all around us. So stay tuned and see you at the next episode. Bye. 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 The Transform Talent Podcast, because we know the right talent transforms organizations and helps your business flourish. Talent Solutions, business and talent aligned.